Welcome to this segment of Indie Creators brought to you by Be Simply. And today we have special guest, Jeffrey James. And we're going to dive into a timely conversation about our mental health, our relations with one another, and so much more. Without further ado, let's dive in with Jeffrey. have you here it's been a minute we were trying to figure out how long it's been somewhere in the brouhaha on planet earth i know we recorded one but i was like oh because it went in rounds you know kind of like a fire ceremony (laughs) (laughs) that's fun yeah um so why don't you um just share with the existing listeners and the new listeners a little bit Mm -hmm. just about where you're at with your practice with your clients and Kind of where you've evolved into in this present moment because i think for all of us we've um shifted and metamorphosed through this fire ceremony that we've been in i think that's a good way we might have mm-hmm. one more round <laughs> yeah. four or five rounds depends on the water for <laughs> yeah i like that yeah. fire ceremony feels appropriate um where i'm at in my practice i uh was a therapist for 10 plus years and clinically trained and private practice in Washington state and Colorado. And I'm still in Colorado. And, uh, I had my own kind of fire ceremony last summer. I took a four month sabbatical where I stopped seeing clients and I essentially closed my therapy practice, psychotherapy practice and have reemerged on the other side, very changed. Mm. Um, I'm back to going by Jeffrey. So, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't told you that. Yeah. Um, and I'm leaving three leaves counseling behind and, um, a thing I never thought I'd say rebranding is actually happening and it feels, it feels deeper than that because to use your word metamorphosis, that's, what's been happening. And I'm, I'm really leaning back or leaning forward into this role of guide and coach and mentor, mm-hmm. um, where I get to be more directive. I get to hold people's, uh, hold them lovingly accountable and fiercely accountable Mm. and realizing that I have a lot of, I have a lot to offer in this way of not just holding your hand, but walking shoulder to shoulder more of a, not who have you been and how hard has it been? That's all really important. And that's not my focus. That's not where my gifts lay in, in who I am now and moving forward. My gifts are in who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? And to really move in that direction where it's, it is far more, one could say, in the masculine realm of, okay, you want to change your life? Great. So start today. Start right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just consistently stay with the folks that find me and that want to work. That, that And here's a significant change. The therapeutic container is often, you come to me as a potential client and I say yes, almost no matter what. Right. Whereas the container I'm creating is it's a two way choosing. Yeah. If, if I don't think I'm a good fit, that's every bit as important. If the, uh-huh. other, the potential client thinks or doesn't think we're a good fit. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I'll stop there, but that's a, okay. a short overview. Well, it's a very important point. I'd love to deepen on that. And um, excuse me for calling you Jeff in the beginning. Oh, I was thinking okay. about you because, Growing up, my name's Suzanne, and people would call me Susan, and my, mm-hmm. my mom was very adamant that it was that name. So uh, we'll dive a little mm-hmm. bit into what you re-stepped into with Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to go into this important aspect of really meeting your client in a two-way radio format, making sure there's yes. an alignment and a mm-hmm. calibration, uh, mm-hmm. and the responsibility, I think, we as wellness practitioners have to do that because sometimes there's other things like you know life sustaining life that could encroach on that those code of ethics you know be like oh am i the best person for this person so share a little bit more about how you arrived at that i know in previous conversations we talked a little bit about people not showing up and not being kind of respectful of your time because they had to run off to a cacao ceremony or something so share a little (laughs) bit more for, for maybe wellness practitioners and therapists that are listening and also for people that are seeking help 
how important it is to have that honest, transparent relationship. Yeah. Thanks for that, Suzanne. Uh, that's helpful. Gets me in a good place. Um, <clears throat> yeah, honest, transparent relationship. I, 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 historically, for years, will consistently get people coming to me saying they were really dissatisfied with their prior relationships therapeutically, therapists they'd, they'd worked with. And I started to ask the question, did you ask for what you need? Did you say, hey, this isn't working. Can we try something else? And 98% of them said, well, no. <laughs> I said, so what do you expect? Like, yeah. if that's not baked into the relationship, and it's a gift to me because I then get to start out on some version of the right foot with people, which is, if I'm not giving you what you need, I need you to communicate with me. I can't read your mind. Certainly, it's my job to check in how's this going, um, what's working, what's not, what's missing. Um, and you need to participate. I need you to participate. And this is a microcosm of your life. Yeah. You go in a relationship, there's expectations, there's a, a sort of, there are visible contracts and invisible contracts, power up, power down. It's the invisible contracts I'm working to make visible by nudging people into uncomfortable terrain, which is mm. speaking what they want and need and what works and what doesn't. And I think the, the thing you spoke to, which I really appreciate, which is, yeah, sometimes as practitioners, we got to pay the bills. I know when I was first starting my practice, I'm like, come on in, big sale. I'll take anybody. You know, <laughs> I'm like, sure, I'll work with you. Great. Does it feel like a fit? I don't care. You're here. You're willing to pay me. Let's do it. Um, and I'm not that way so much anymore. It really is like, where is my aliveness? Am I falling asleep in my chair? Am I immediately on guard with a, a potential client? Am I overzealous with a potential client? There's shadow in either direction, I find. Mm. So uh, speaking to transparency too, I'll, in those first sessions, it's not just to let me get to know you. It's a, hey, you need to know me. Um, and I try to do a little work in consultations as well. I'll point things out like, I noticed this thing. I'm wondering, is the story make up about it? Is this, or does that land? Um, or I noticed this thing in me. Like, I really want to please you. I'm leaning forward a lot. And that might be a dynamic worth looking at. Or I'm, I'm leaning back, whatever it might be. So, yeah, the ethical piece of really as practitioners asking ourselves, is, can I actually serve this person? Or will it be more, uh, uh, I'm scrambling to meet them or impress them or, or whatever it is. Just holding those questions, it feels like a, a responsible ethical practice that I'm more deeply and more overtly engaged in with the people that come to me with the idea that they want to work together. Beautiful. That's exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you, Suzanne. I think so, too. I'll say one more thing quickly is that I, I consistently am setting up what I call more gates for people to pass through before they actually sit in front of me, before we sit together. Yeah. Um, and so that's, no, please read my website. There's actually coming, um, this is part of the website that's being built. It's an application mm -hmm. to, to work with me where it's not just, hey, when can we set up a time? But no, right. not just everybody gets to set up a time. What I'm doing in the interim is I ask people four or five questions and their answers tell me a lot. And I've used that as one gate or filter to be able to say, ooh, I'm fired up about your answers, or I'm not a fit and here's why. Good right. luck with your search. Yeah. So it's, it's working well in that regard too. So creating more clarity of who I am and what someone's looking for. So there's already a better opportunity for a good match. Yeah, beautiful. And can you share a little bit for people that are seeking, whether it's, um, I mean, I consider you more of a holistic not just mental health, like, cause you have yeah. a background that you call upon through nature and so forth. Uh, but can you share a little bit for people that are seeking this, how they can be a little bit more honest even before their search? Because I can just reflect what I've seen is a lot of times people kind of want to like hide something under the rug. And so they're like, sure. I'm here for this. And, 
and you're right. like, but we got to look at that. So if you can share like some of your uh, tips on how people can be a little bit more honest, that it's truly what they're mm-hmm. there to get, not just to feel better or be validated, but if they're really interested in metamorphosis and becoming the person they want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's juicy. It makes me think of people that clean their house before the house cleaners come. Because <laughs> they're yeah. worried, oh, I, I want to think of they, that I'm disgusting. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just clean the bathroom real quick before they get here. <laughs> You're paying them to clean your house. Yeah. So it feels a, a little similar to me. There, there's overlap there. Um, and the frame that I use is shadow, um, shadow work. And those are the things we can't really see about ourselves without help. And there are plenty of clues. Like if, if I'm repulsed by someone, that's usually something about me that I haven't worked. Um, so one suggestion I would offer is what are the things that make you the most uncomfortable about yourself, about how you're in relationship, how you're in the world? Um, what are the things you're, you're most longing for? So I'm pushing people to the edges past their comfort zone. And that's the encouragement of... And I think you, you know this, the people rarely, they have a presenting problem and that's rarely what they come to work on. Yeah. Oh, I, I, want, I want a better relationship. Oh, okay, that's really big. Same one. <laughs> you know, it turns out they're terrified of intimacy. That's very different than wanting a better relationship. Right. So just digging a little deeper and asking harder questions and if they have close friends that are willing to give them honest feedback. If you were me, what would you work on with a therapist or a guide or a practitioner of some kind? Again, because we can't, we can't really see ourselves without help. Yeah, a good mirror. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, and share a little bit um, about for the wellness practitioners and therapists mm-hmm. out there, any person that's in service to people's well-being, um, mm-hmm. the necessary practice to stay in well-being uh, because you were alluding to certain things, you know, that we were, we're fallible to. Um, but if you can share a little bit about that importance so um, one say, stays completely in integrity when they sit in the room with their client, patient, however they refer to them. Yeah. Uh, humility comes to mind mm-hmm. first because um, I don't think we can actually ever really be completely in integrity. And for me, it's the noticing when we've fallen out of our seat as a practitioner, whether we've made it personal or we've spoken from a, a part or an aspect of self that isn't our adult self. Um, and then as quickly and skillfully and courageously as we can come back into integrity. And that might have nothing to do with the client have everything to do with ourselves um and i think walking our talk Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that always puzzled me in graduate programs for psychotherapy that and there are ethical issues here too so i get there's a both and but that programs don't necessarily require people that are learning how to be therapists to be in therapy themselves blows my mind I'm like what that's like <laughs> i don't even know i can't think of a good analogy it's like okay it's sort of like if you want to be a fighter pilot but you're not flying jets or sitting in a jet with someone to know can i actually even be in a jet right do i throw up all the time do i want to <laughs> just like immediately hit the eject button and parachute out probably not the best profession for you so if you can't be in the hot seat don't do it yeah. Oh, yeah. well said. And for you with, um, I don't know what's emerging as far as your area of focus and what you see, I would say over the past, like three to five years, it seems like the younger generations in their twenties to mm-hmm. early thirties are really, um, they love talking about psychology and mm-hmm. understanding their mental health and are really embracing it. And I'm curious where you feel this is headed um, because it, it's fascinating to me. I think it's really amazing that people are 
courageous because older generations don't are afraid of maybe a diagnosis or any of those kinds of things. Younger generations like wants to own it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, where do you feel this is heading? And then do you feel that there's the potential to encourage people to move beyond maybe what they've self-diagnosed or a diagnosis towards well-being? Because I'm I'm from the philosophy that it's more an imbalance and you come into balance. Oh, that's an overarching generalization, but yeah, we can come Mm -hmm. into balance. Yeah. I like what you're positing and what you're pointing to. Um, I have thought a fair bit about this younger folks being working on your mental health, the mental health even being a thing you know is a thing, let alone pay attention (laughs) to it and and try to help it be better. It's so much more normalized, which is phenomenal uh, at a baseline level. It's just an amazing thing to, to watch this generation sort of feel like it's their birthright to have a therapist or a, a, a healer or some kind of guide for their, for their lives. Where I get a little troubled, you pointed to it as self-diagnosis. Part of the information age is that we have way too much access to information. So people pretty consistently throw around terms like borderline personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, and they're diagnosing left and right. And I've been really careful with diagnosis in my career. It's, I can count on one hand with hundreds and hundreds of people that I've worked with that I've actually spoken a diagnosis. And I thought long and hard about it because it has such an impact, as you probably know, and practitioners probably know. It can be liberating. Oh, my God, now everything makes sense. Like someone, say, with adult ADHD or someone who's diagnosed with bipolar 2. And it clicks. They're like, oh, my God, I feel seen. I feel like I'm not crazy. It can be that. And in my experience, more often, it is something for people to hang their identity on. Now they're this, and they clutch to it. This is who I am, so therefore I get a free pass in social spaces, or I get a free pass in my intimate partnership, or I get a free pass with my boss. This is just who I am. I just have impulses, and I tell you to go screw yourself, and that's, you're going to have to get used to it. Um, so I do see a danger there where there's a, there's, there's birthright and there's entitlement and the nuance between those poles. So, cause I do see a trend where, where it isn't necessarily I'm doing the work so I can heal. It's I'm doing the work so I can say I'm doing the work and I have a place to dump, vent, complain and some work probably happens almost invariably if you if you continue to show up and if the if the motivation is corrupt well the work will necessarily be corrupt so where do you think it's headed (laughs) yeah yeah gosh with the caveat that it's obviously impossible slash really hard to say um I'm holding out that it's headed toward uh, a rising, a raising of consciousness. Um, like I said, even if we're showing up for the kind of wrong reasons, and this is my opinion, so people show up for whatever reasons they need to show up for. Uh, something's going to move. If we keep showing up, in some ways we could say to feel good or feel better, by talking to someone. Well, if you continue to show up and your clinician takes a risk by saying, hey, it seems like you're, you're just coming here to talk, like you don't actually want to do any work. I find myself wanting to fall asleep or I'm irritated and after this thing and you, you sort of brush it off. So if a clinician's able to take a risk, then something might really start to happen. And I think it requires, and I think I'm getting into the where do I think this is headed, if clinicians, whatever they call themselves, can, back to your original point, be in integrity with themselves and what they believe and are committed to, devoted to in the work, then shit's going to move. Things will happen. Um, and this is where my wheelhouse, more and more I'm learning about myself and building my ability to do this. 
is to be messy, to be uncomfortable, sometimes wildly so, and stay relational. Easy to freak out when someone challenges us. So I feel like potentially it's headed towards an up-leveling consciousness. Beyond that, hard to say, uh, with so much going on in the world, um, what happens then? But I think it's going to get messier before it gets cleaner. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think once certain things are spoken, it's like the elephant in the room, even if uh, diagnoses aren't, aren't accurate or labels aren't mm-hmm. accurate, people are starting to call out behaviors at minimum. Right. And a then, good thing. Yes. And then they're starting to say, well, I don't want to behave this way with another person. So I have to take accountability for my part. So I think mm-hmm. that moment's happening and it may create a little bit of a Lord of the Flies moment because some people don't want to change yet. So it'll be, it'll be interesting, (laughs) but I think all in all, it'll be positive on the other side of everyone taking responsibility for feelings and mental health. Um, so for you, what does messy mean? Like, what does that, um, look like? Mm. Yeah. Messy means for me in, in, for instance, in my particular character, I'll give you an example where I grew up um, with an angry father who was pretty intimidating and relationally violent, um, sometimes physically so. I learned how to be a pleaser. Okay, cool, I'll make you laugh or I'll shut my mouth or I'll agree vociferously with whatever you're saying, even if I don't agree. <laughs> like I learned how to, just, all right, cool, we're cool here. Everything's okay. I'm not going to die, or at least I don't think I will. But so as an adult man, I've realized, okay, that strategy is outdated. It doesn't serve me. So the mess for me is saying when I don't agree. Um, And it tends to come out clunky because I haven't practiced it for 51 years. I've been practicing for maybe a decade or more, really practicing in the last couple of years with this transition I'm in. So it, it's the both and of, well, okay, yeah, I, I'm sorry I did that. And there's this other piece that really troubles me about you. So both and, can I own something and still stay with my whole experience or more of my whole experience where it isn't just a, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm bad. You're good. We're done here. It's like, oh, no, I am sorry for the impact of that. And there's something underneath that that I need addressed. So navigating that kind of messiness for me is, is exactly that. It's messy, it's edgy, it's uncomfortable and, and distinguishing between the kind of discomfort that is going to potentially activate or trigger me and the discomfort that I would call productive or well discomfort. Mm. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm with myself, I'm activated, but I'm not launching and I'm resourced enough and resourcing myself enough mm. to stay in what is a kind of energetic mesh because we're we're smooshing together, yeah. Energetically, um, emotionally, um, yeah. Some version of also advocating the the phrase oh, I've this, said. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, the phrase I've said of late is, "I'm not going to let anyone push me off my spot," mm-hmm. which already is pretty messy given my historical character of coping strategies of being nice and agreeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. This is why we're moving to that Lord of the Flies moment. <laughs> All the yeah. people pleasers and enablers are going to be playing Twister together and they're not going to move or fall down. Yeah, right. <laughs> and shit yeah. will probably get messy at that point. Yeah. So, and this is a nuance that's really important. I think a very valuable discussion to have right now is because when, um, you know, right now pe- uh, people's buzzwords is this is my boundary. And right, so they right, create totally. a boundary, but then you're like, okay, I only have like so many ways to engage with you now because, you know, so what you just explained is really beautiful because it allows both people to call out what they're uncomfortable with and, and why, you know, it's kind of like um, if we use the MPD, like the narcissistic, one of their characteristics are they discard, you know, they're like when their person's not behaving, but this is the whole baby boomers generation. They were discarding all the time because their parents raised them that way. Right. So, you know, this is a ancestral thing that we're looking through right now. So 
Can you share with the listeners a reason why to turn into something not to like about faith or makes, you know, there are needs for, I would say, lines in the sands for ethical reasons, moral reasons that you don't want yeah. to cross those boundaries. But when you're just trying to relate to two people that are really just trying to be the best person they're trying to be, it's no, they're not, you know, we're not mm-hmm. in a samurai fight or anything. Um, can you... <laughs> Can you share for the listeners so they can get an idea of what that looks like, uh, where mm-hmm. both people can be communicating with one another? Yeah, uh, uh, that's exciting to me, Suzanne. Um, back to being messy. Uh, I think how we know where someone's boundary is, is we cross it. And that's pretty much it, because how else are we going to find out? Um, so it, it, for me, it requires responsibility on both parties that are in communication or certainly however many people are in a conversation, but we'll just use the one-on-one for, for this example. Um, so this whole idea of staying relational, it's wonderful, it's vital to have boundaries and a distinction that I've been making for years and I'm remembering a podcast when I had a podcast with my podcast partner, Micha Kurz, The Better Bozo. We talked about the distinction between feeling because people say, I'm not safe. I don't feel safe. Sort of like, this is my boundary. It's a version of that. And the difference between not being safe and being uncomfortable, to really do some accuracy in reporting, okay, wait, well, so when you say you're not safe, what does that mean? Because I'm not going to hurt you. You're not physically unsafe. We're not in the middle of a packed freeway with cars going 80 miles an hour. There's no lion chasing us. So can you tell me more about what, not safe means to you so i can get on your map and so so if we're in inquiry individually we're doing i think our ethical work to understand the distinction between unsafe and uncomfortable and i'm with you like absolutely don't cross this line no means no absolutely and to your point the the window of relatability gets smaller and smaller and smaller if i have to pause every 30 seconds to ask how you're doing and how this is landing and tell me what your experience is. And is there anything about my posture you'd like me to change? And how's the level of my volume of my voice? And should I look away when I talk? I mean, we could go on and on and on. And but that feels frustrating to me. I'm pretty much going to stop talking to someone who's, who's in that place. Because they're, to me, they're more interested in being in an ivory tower than they are in being actually relational and being with some discomfort. And I would even say activation. You know, for me, it's we get excitation or arousal. Then we get activation in the nervous system. And then we get trigger in that order. <clears throat> and this idea of noticing sooner where, what level we're at. So we can say, oh, hey, I need to slow down. I'm noticing I'm getting dysregulated. So I'm going to take a few breaths. I'm going to you know, look at some plants or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a short walk. You know, to be able to regulate and circle back around. So I'll stop there. Just yeah, that's that good. Around, yeah. So um, accountability, because ultimately, typically, when someone has a we're at trigger, and they mm-hmm. say, "I don't feel safe," we're in their past, not their present moment at that point. Sure. Because yeah. typically, this happens in very comfortable relationships, usually partnerships, work relationships, family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there could be issues in those meaning that have contributed but i would say vast majority not uh, <laughs> unless you're dealing with it you know present moment abuse you know so sure. yeah right you know so that that's a little different but if it's just two people that come together they're we're self-responsible um so can you share with the listeners a little bit like uh when they go to trigger mm-hmm. how they can rather than like throw up walls and start discarding people, what they can do to actually reel it in. You gave us some cues for themselves <laughs> so they can ground and get certain before they destroy. Cause it is a little off putting, like you said, that if someone all of a sudden is like, I'm, you know, <laughs> like you can only talk to me this way at this time. You can only, you know, all these different things, yeah. people are just going to walk away. And that person might end up that's dealing with trauma or, some deep-rooted issues that hasn't got the proper help might end up being more isolated. It could be detrimental to their well-being. And these good people are just 
walking away from them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you can it share a little bit of when you're in you know, the heat of the fire, what someone can do to for self-preservation and not to ruin the village. <laughs> <laughs> Burn the village down. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to answer that in two ways. The first, when it comes to in the moment, I think that that's all on the individual to know themselves enough and to have enough wherewithal resource, access to resource and strategies for down regulation. Um, then that's really advanced work. That's tough work to do. And so the second part of my answer is to front load with whomever you're going, you're, you're wading into tender, charged, maybe really charged terrain um, where you might access vulnerability, you might access things that are destabilizing, confusion, doubt, insecurity, fear, um, and start to make up stories. Because you know, as soon as we get activated, we leave the front brain and our prefrontal cortex, and then we're left with the training, most of us which have no training. Uh, so we're more likely to leave the amygdala and go to the hindbrain and just be boom, in trigger. And we're, we're kind of screwed there, unless we have some kind of someone has us on belay, so to speak, like in a climbing situation where someone's got our back and because to do it individually is really tough. I mean, I'm, I'm consistently nudging myself into this edgy, messy terrain. So I'm gaining skill with activation and maybe even trigger. Mm. Um, that's hard work. And it's usually scary. and can be, I think to your point, triggering in and of itself. I'm triggered <laughs> that I'm triggered, right? Yeah. I'm freaked out that I'm freaked out. Ooh, double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good so so the thing for me that's the most useful is to front load if i'm going to have a conversation with uh and this has happened multiple times recently because it's a deep practice of mine with my partner or with a dear friend to be able to say hey i've got something i need to bring to you and it's a little bit loaded um can we talk and can we then set the terms for the conversation and it can still go sideways. I had it happen six weeks ago with a man in my men's group where I set the terms for the conversation. We'd set aside time. We had a rub and it went off the rails and I was trying to keep it on the rails and end it. And then it went off the rails. Very human, very messy. Uh, we've since worked it out uh, in our men's group. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing for me is front loading, get a clear context for the conversation uh make room for pauses for breaks for breath for or set a time limit and negotiate and collaborate on that time limit and also strategies again before you're sort of jumping into the deep end or sort of flying in the wind um how are we going to help ourselves and each other regulate and stay connected yeah. if you don't have that you're pretty screwed because biology takes over nervous system yeah. takes over and then we're going to go into blame and shame and storyville and rupture and mm -hmm. ruptures are difficult to repair so the sooner we can slow stop mm -hmm. disengage down regulate and then re-engage the the more we're actually going to build trust instead of erode trust right beautifully said yeah. and share a little bit about the the ne necessary element of anger or eruption or frustration within our human body um, and with our brain and our soul and how it can be valuable yet it's you know it's it's part of our most important organ the liver so you know it's something in our society that we suppress so much so if you can share a little bit even you know i think this women are very wrathful and men by society have been really encouraged to be, I feel something more angry than they truly are. I'm not saying that you as a man don't mm. have the, but women, because we give birth, have a wrath in us that is scary, I think, to when it gets unleashed, right? Sure. And can be very damaging. Um, so share a little bit about that. Cause I didn't actually realize how gentle the male embodiment was until I had my son. And I was mm, like, whoa, I'm yeah. like, everyone needs to have a son before they relate to anyone. <laughs> For some, <laughs> like, being as an early age that you could understand, because I think women, 
we have this fierceness to us that aren't allowed to even utilize that completely. But there's a reason it's like mama bear to protect her cubs, um, but not to like shame her partner or destroy her children's psyche. It's really to be there as a protective mechanism. So if you can share from your, your lens, I would love that because I feel like so this ancestral healing that we're doing uh, from the boomers and before the boomers, I don't know what they're called, um, is is this this thing that's evolving right now. And that's what we can really bring into balance is through this emotion of anger and frustration and all those messy mm. things. Yeah, that feels rich and I, I value the perspective. And I'm remembering you mentioned that when we talked, whatever that was a couple of years ago uh, about having your son and realizing, whoa, super sensitive system. Um, and I'm, I can say, honestly, it's only been really in earnest the last couple of years I've been looking at my own anger and actively working it. Because again, I had an angry father, so I swung all the way out, not wanting to be anything like that, uh, which really made me more dangerous because I, I, some version of my demon is in the basement un, unguarded as opposed to on a leash really close right with me because I'm, I'm in relationship with rage, with anger, frustration, um, injustice, whatever version it might show up as. Um, and I do think this is, this has been around for years. Like the book, no more Mr. Nice guy points to it. Um, that men have swung really, especially in more conscious communities like Boulder or San Francisco or you know Bali or wherever someone might find themselves on a healing journey, where they've swung way over to the super hypersensitive. It used to be called like the sensitive ponytail guy. Not a nice term, but that's a characterization of someone, who, a man who doesn't actually feel his spine, who doesn't actually sort of stand in his power. Um, and that feels like the sensitivity as it moves into collapse, which necessarily means I'm going to pendulate over to posturing, freaking out, not having skill when it comes to messiness, intensity. Um, so the exploration of anger and finding safe enough venues for it, whether that's martial arts or boxing or, I don't know, primal scream therapy from back in the 60s or 70s, um, <laughs> I know for me, I'm, I'm getting far more balanced in my capacity, and you said this word, which is really important in relation to females, uh, fierceness, that the more I'm with the depth of my sensitivity and honor it, the more access, and somewhat paradoxically, I have to the things that really enrage me, that piss me off. And so I can start to work that, and that blend helps me to have fierce love where I'm in contact with my heart, and I am calling someone out and hopefully in, yeah. um, which is rare because we tend to be either or, that binary encouragement from a cultural, social uh, perspective and you know, prodding like cattle. So I'll stop yeah. there for see where that lands. Yeah, beautifully said. And so for you, um, where would you feel the dynamic is like, the transformation for both the male and the female with um, their fire, because if we look at the organ, our livers to filtrate, you know, and remove the toxins yet as a society, if we've limited anger towards like battle, like literal battle and ostracized being ostracized because you got angry, that doesn't seem like a really healthy way to (laughs) approach things. So if we bring it to the center, of where we can on a healthy level um, filtrate our emotion of anger and remove the toxic piece and then uh, save the juicy stuffs from that energy that rises up. Uh, can you paint a little bit of a picture of what that might mm-hmm. look like for us or what we could work towards? Yeah, I really like the filtrate that we filter. Uh, that feels so valuable. It starts for me, so in my partnership, we deeply prioritize safety and trust and connection and closeness and repair when there's a 
uh, or some or rupture or a wobble or a disconnect of some kind. And for me, the, our closest people are where we have enough safety and trust to practice this. Um, and the thing that comes up strongly, the practice that I hold and my partner I hold really deeply is emotions get to move and we're committed to not blaming the other person, making up stories that they're somehow responsible. Like for instance, when I work with anyone, whenever they say, well, they, they make me feel terrible. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody makes you, outside of, you said this earlier, outside of direct abuse, no one makes you do anything. They can have psychic power. They can have energetic power. They can have uh, sort of be physically imposing. Well, that's real. It's not to dismiss any of the factors that go into the complexity of emotion. And we got to own our shit. So great, let emotion move and say, Ooh, there's one of me. There's a part of me that makes up the story that you're mean and you did this and it's your fault. And there's a more grown up part of me that realizes, oh, I've got some crap down here that I don't want to look at or own, but I am. Ugh, gross. <laughs> it's not your fault. Thanks for being with me. I love you. I'm going to go take a walk. I'll be back in five minutes. Like whatever we might do just to, to, to try to help us do something different than point the finger, which is to point it back itself. Because we get to have all our emotions. They're, they're all going to happen. So can we, whoo, jeez, I'm feeling, I'm feeling frustrated. And it, you didn't know this would frustrate me. So this is not your fault. And I want to stay relational and put you on my map. So you're not worried or wondering, because I think you know this, Suzanne. We're energetic creatures. If I'm super pissed, but you ask and say, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. They're going to feel that I'm not fine. Yeah. And, and so that makes me less trustable. And, and consequently, the, whomever I'm in relationship with, their nervous system is going to know and take over. Whereas if I say, oh, thanks for asking. I'm super frustrated right now. It's a thing you did. You didn't know it would frustrate me. It's actually not about you. Obviously, we're in relationship right now. Just know I'm working with something over here. Then the person I'm in relationship has something to work with. Uh -huh. Oh, okay, great. Jeffrey just put me on his map. He's not making me wrong. He's saying this is what's up and here's why. Wow, cool. I'm a little uncomfortable. And now because I trust him, I'm, I'm able to stay with him. I'm gonna stay in relationship, and maybe even get curious, or, or maybe even offer to help. Is there anything I can do to help you feel a little better? Be generous. And that's a way for me to, to feel care and, and start to downregulate. I've already started because I'm explaining it. I'm not just gripping right. tightly and rigidly onto, no, I'm fine. I just don't feel like talking. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not gonna get you very far. If, you, right. if you're committed to staying relational, and staying responsible for what's yours. Beautifully said. <laughs> so that's the key where our society is heading, I would say, just mm. to find it really beautiful. Uh, ah. Because those energy, because everyone's opening up themselves to feel, which is exciting, <sighs> that we, yeah. can't, we can't wear those masks anymore, which is super exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. I like how you put that. Yeah. Um, so share a little bit about in partnership uh yeah. if you don't mind me bringing you and your partner forward here in a moment mm -hmm. with this great. question but i think what happens i notice in working with couples is that maybe one partner really wants something and is putting it on the other person like if this person changes then we'll have if this. only they got better at this we'd be great <laughs> yeah yeah you got it you get it so i want you to share a little bit with the listeners that have this, I call it a delusion, that there's something external that has to happen for them to shift internally to be right as rain uh, nice. with themselves and with their partner. Uh, if you can touch on that. And then also, if you can also touch on the importance of capacity, because I find oftentimes people have a, I don't know, like a rainbow in the sky. And, but I'm like, okay, well, let's look at what the capacity within the two people relating to each other is in the present moment. It doesn't mean it can't change and transform, but uh, mm -hmm. if we want something that's not available yet, it can be, create a lot of tension and frustration in a relationship. Mm 
so if you can share your tips and tricks in your own mm -hmm. dynamic or from your your years of experience that would be great yeah yeah i love the framing you're offering suzanne um and that tendency to 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 want the external to change like we were just kind of joking about tongue-in-cheek if only you'd get better we'd be great because i'm already great i mean that's that's the implication that's the inference and the implication i'm great and you're not could you get your <laughs> shit together like any day now um so uh, again i think i think it has to rest on a shared reality and a shared commitment shared practices where it's explicitly named in in this case i'll say partnership that you're both deeply committed to to owning your shit and that that looks all kinds of ways so that's a very general thing to say so i want to get a little more specific um so if i'm consistently looking outward for something to change so it'll be better if you just meet me here we'd be good um it's my responsibility to receive reflection from my therapist my guide my coach my community my partner maybe most importantly but oh wow i'm always pointing out so it's my work to to go in what can i change about myself what can i look at and shift and be in different relationship in myself that absolutely contributes to this dynamic of lack or some version of blame because that's what it is it's your fault you're not good enough you're not doing enough work i am and it's quite it's quite divisive and typically what's tough about it in my experience is there's there's a little bit of truth in all of it so we can really hang on to that thread of truth like well i've been to therapy every week for two years and you've gone four times in two years so mm. and there's truth in that like that's real but it doesn't necessarily represent the whole context the other partner might have been going to group therapy they might have been might have a daily meditation practice they might have a daily movement practice they might have a deep spiritual practice and all those need to factor into the equation um and I think there does need to be balance when it comes to both the inward and the outward. Mm -hmm. And people often say, well, I don't want to, I can't change my partner. And that's kind of more advanced than just my partner needs to change. Like, oh, I can't change my partner. I can't tell them what to do or tell them who they should be. And I often say to those folks, yes, and you can and ultimately really have to ask for what you want and need. Mm -hmm. This isn't just a, oh, they are who they are, therefore they've got to pass on everything because that's right. that's low-hanging fruit. Oh, I'm just a jerk sometimes and you don't know when. So that's just who I am, so I'm not gonna apologize. I'm letting you know now I'm a jerk sometimes so I don't have to be accountable for when I am a jerk and you don't like it. I'll just say, remember when I told you sometimes I'm a jerk? <laughs> Get used to it, you signed on for this. And that's relational violence as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and this for me bleeds into your second part, which is capacity. If we don't have a shared agreement and commitment to the really uncomfortable, scary, sometimes even painful process of being stretched and pried open by vulnerability and deeper and deeper intimacy, yeah. if we don't have that shared agreement, then we're in for pain. Uh, because building capacity, in my experience, is wildly uncomfortable. Even when I'm, and kind of especially when I'm turning toward you and saying, yeah, I, I want that. I want to be securely attached to my partner, which I very much do. I want deeper intimacy. I want deeper vulnerability. And then it scares the shit out of me. Yeah. So buckle up. I mean, one of my points, especially now in this more guiding coaching role that I'm, I'm in, is we're going to be uncomfortable no matter what would you rather be knocked on your ass on your heels in a defensive position constantly or leaning in stepping forward being proactive getting to choose how much discomfort and when and around what so yeah shared reality shared commitment shared practices and also individual practice feel like the baseline for any of what we're talking about now Beautifully said. And can you share a little bit for couples how to be radically honest before, you know, their stages of a relationship, but before mm -hmm. they maybe make the commitment, like they're going to be life partners or do it legally, get married, um, mm -hmm. or even just enter into a longer term relationship to be really honest yeah. if there is 
a, a lined front. I mean, some of it you can't predict. We have things that are going to happen, sure. but can you give the listeners some cues on how to be honest about, so people can go their separate ways or stay together? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a central practice for me, and I recommend it to most folks, and I've learned over the years after generally recommending this practice that I have to adjust based on capacity, what we were just talking about. I have to adjust kind of the, the, the intensity and the volume and, and really sort of get their world of, okay, are they, are they calling each other idiots? Let's see. Probably not the best to tell them to check in around hard stuff once a week because that <laughs> is just volatility and, you know, there's gasoline all over the fire that's already started. Mm. Uh, but what I'm speaking to is a consistent check-in based on the culture of transparency and honesty. Uh, I'll say loving honesty, loving transparency, mm -hmm. connected honesty and transparency, relational. Um, so it's a consistent practice. And again, creating a culture collaboratively on, okay, well, how do we want to talk about hard things? Mostly we just wait for hard shit to happen or get bad enough that we then we feel we have to talk about it and hear the dreaded words, sweetheart, there's something I need to talk to you about. And we all just feel like we're busted in middle school going to the principal's office. <laughs> or we're, like, we're about to get humiliated in front of the whole school. Mm -hmm. Like it's our nervous systems again, take over there. So it's recognizing, well, what works in terms of uh, a shared agreement, you know, collaborative agreement. Um, how do we want to approach it? What are our practices? So, you know, if I'm say a, a, a new, relatively new couple where there's a lot of chemicals rolling, um, just understandably oxytocin and, uh, you know, the love chemicals, just set them up for more success while there's so much lubricant between them, Yeah, which is like, okay, great, cool. Start building the culture of being intelligently uncomfortable together mm. and setting aside deliberate time where you're, there are no distractions, no phones, no computers, no TV, um, where you're like, okay, cool. How, how's it going? How's your week? What, what are some, uh, what are a couple, and I say small significant things that are the low risk, high reward things. Mm. People often say it's petty. Just say, well, my, my partner doesn't ever put the soap back in the right place pisses me off but i don't want to feel like a petty jerk to bring that up and for me that's exactly what i want people to bring up because when we start with five pound weights oh this isn't so bad oh okay cool my arms are a little sore but i actually feel like i made some progress as opposed to going in for the 50 pound barbells right out of the gate yeah absolutely. this thing you do makes me question our commitment and if i want to stay with you like oh my god that's <laughs> terrible yeah. What? That's a bomb. <laughs> That's a relational grenade. So start with like the little, you know, the, those things you might remember uh, as kids, these little fireworks, you would throw them at the ground and they would yeah. go pop. Yeah, they're and they're fun, but they're small. <laughs> yeah. Start small, small and significant, low risk, high reward behaviors. Mm. Hey, it really bugs me. After you wash your face, I feel like a, a tidal wave happened in the bathroom. Can And that, that money, that's kind of a jerk thing to say. So Again, we're making messes, but we're creating a culture of trying to make better messes and clean them up with more care yeah. and soon. Yeah. Well, and ultimately, when we use those little things, like how someone goes to the bathroom mm -hmm. with, you know, making a mess, yeah. squeezing sure. the tube the wrong way, there's, <laughs> right. there's a lot of information in that. That's why I love teaching cooking classes, because there's a lot of information that comes forward that can be broken down one why the person's irritated and one why the person isn't being self-aware that there's someone else using yeah. that space too so um yeah yeah it's really beautiful um mm -hmm. and how can you share with people if they need to admit that it's time to let go because sometimes when there's Oof, dysfunction yeah. it's easy to hold on to the dysfunction easier than people would imagine they do it okay. oh I yeah, I think you're so right. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I, I haven't been working with couples since before I went on sabbatical last year. And uh, I'm almost certain I'll, I need to be working with couples again. Um, I just need to continue to reevaluate re and, and rethink and refine what I'm up to. 
And I would tell couples that I work with, I'm not here to save your marriage. I'm actually here to help you see more clearly what you're agreeing to, what the dynamics are, where the shadows are, uh, where the invisible contracts, like I mentioned earlier, are and make them visible. So you have more information of, do you actually want to be together? Are you actually a match? Um, and the key ingredient for me in, in partnership, in any couples, um, is willingness. So, you know, we're going to have different timelines. Like, you know, some person's going to be cruising on their work and some person's going to be, uh, not so much, but, but eventually we'll cross. Those lines will cross and we'll even probably trade roles if we're really committed to it. So willingness for me is, is central. If, if you're struggling with a partner and they're really showing up and they're willing to learn, even if you feel like, ugh, I'm not being mad as much as I want, well, they continue to show up. Okay. And then to self-check, is it enough for me to be with a willing partner who's not at the level I want them to be? And if it's not, well, that's a hard, honest conversation you need to have with yourself, your best friend, your therapist, your women's group, men's group, any group that's therapeutic. Um, and, and, Conversely, right, a lack of willingness on one person's part, it's a death knell for the relationship. Yeah. So if you continue to ask for what you want and you turn over every stone, um, that's probably time to let go. Yeah. And there, there are fundamental incompatibilities in partnerships that in some ways are really good. So, and there's also this piece around a whole other direction we may not have time to go today, but uh, Esther Perel talks about this, that no one partner can meet every need and it's impossible and, and un ridiculous to ask for or to expect. And yet we often do. Um, so there's the, the, the shifting of expectations, but not so low that you're not getting your needs met by your primary person and not so high that it's an impossibility. Yes. And if they're not willing to come up to the plate, yeah, it's probably game over time to, do a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So I've almost taken my hour because we started late. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be respectful of your time. Um, mm -hmm. So Jeffrey, we're going to include on your name. What mm -hmm. have you stepped into what aspect of you arose through your inner journey? It feels like you took uh, mm -hmm. inner some space for yourself. Uh, what has arrived? What has been born? Hmm. I would love the question. Thank you, Suzanne. Um, hmm. Uh, I, it was both this, this, especially this past year plus, where I realized, wow, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is not sustainable. Um. Yeah, I was seeing too many clients every week. Uh, I was, I think I was substituting work for things that weren't being met in my previous partnership. Uh, was really trying too hard to meet someone's expectations that weren't mine. So what has emerged and continues to emerge is my deeper commitment to listening differently and more deeply, better to not, not just here, not cognitive, what do I think? More like, what do I, what do I know in a non-cognitive way about what's, what's mine to do in the world? And, and the shape of me that needs to actually emerge for me to be well, straight up. It's about, like, if I don't do this thing, it's going to kill me. If I do do this thing, it also might kill me. At least I'll, I'll die trying or, or efforting or, or, <laughs> surrendering to the thing that's mine to do. Yeah. So what continues to come through is this, what I say, I'm betrothed to the mystery. I'm betrothed to saying yes to what presents itself. And that's what mm -hmm. happened with my, my partner now. Total, utter surprise. Mm -hmm. And unorthodox on multiple levels in a kind of mainstream way and absolutely needed to say yes, as did she to me. Mm -hmm. So being really devoted to saying yes to what life presents to me yeah. and being devoted to, to, to being the version of me that I'm actually built to be, mm. which in my case is not small. It's not different. It's not demure. It's actually powerful. 
and knowing some things, still being humble. Parker Palmer says, and I love this, have audacity and humility. Mm. Audacious enough to know that I have some value to offer, humble enough to know it's not for everyone, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up. And, and devoted enough to continue to learn, to harvest, to take risks, because it means something to me. So much deeper clarity and commitment more than ever. And a different kind of fire ceremony in that I feel more fire and aliveness in my whole system than I ever have. Mm. And I'm committed to, to burning clean. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Purification. We've all, all been put through it a little bit one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say purification is painful and uncomfortable and scary. <laughs> and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, well, let's exit out with you sharing your present website that will go to Jeffrey James, correct? Uh, yes. So point them there and we'll put the links below. Great. And then share your yeah. retreat that's coming up in the, where are we? In the fall. October. Yeah, October. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, my current website is Three Leaves Counseling, like uh, the letter, or sorry, number three spelled out, leaves, like leaves on a tree, counseling.com. Um, and I haven't bought this name yet, but I'm pretty sure my new website will be Jeffrey James, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, James.coach. Um, and so it is a, a whole new iteration of me and what I get up to. Um, and the retreat in the fall is almost sold out. It's, uh, it's for men, males, or, or people who identify as men. So it's, it's open to however you identify. Um, and it's a weekend intensive at Elkstone Farm in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, where myself and three other co-facilitators um, lead men through a pretty intense Friday to Sunday journey mm. of what it is to be more integrated, what it is to, to be more relational, what it is to be both more vulnerable and powerful as a man um, through a, a, a really diverse and I think rich mix of some kind of group therapy techniques, some physical challenge, some time in nature, some mm. solo time, some dyadic time one-on-one -on -one doing practices that have intensity, we'll often get into role plays with figures that are challenging in our lives. Um, and it's a rich weekend. It's October 6th, 7th, and 8th. I think there are maybe four spots left uh, at this point. So that's what's cooking there. Wonderful. Beautiful. Sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, uh, chef cooked meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day from farm to table so vegetables from the farm and nice. local meats and local pastries it's quite deluxe so. it sounds amazing <laughs> yeah it's good so well jeffrey i so appreciate you being here and reconnecting and mm -hmm. we'll do it again in the future i'm sure um maybe once yeah. you launch your site or some time after and that sounds great um I'm going to push stop, stay here so we can have a proper goodbye. Once again, I want to thank you all for listening in. And thank you again, Jeffrey James, for being here. You can connect to his great work at the links below. And we are going to exit out with a little Kadri Scott sunbeam and listen to the words closely. May you all remember that you matter and you are a bright, beautiful beam of light. Until next time, this is Suzanne signing out with a full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply.
sun.